Gracious God, the God who desires to be number one, the God who will not compete, and the God who is jealous for our love, for our affection, for our time, for our passion. For you are a God who's given us all those things. You've given us a world that is so filled with opportunities and even those very opportunities and good gifts often become also our greatest challenges. So as we work together tonight through these chapters, as we talk about the temple of pleasure, may we see what you wish us to see for ourselves. May we understand what we need to understand about our world. And may we become wiser in the words we share with others, especially those who are in our family of at homes and in our family of faith, so that we might model and live in such a way that your name is glorified and that people are able to draw nearer to you. We know, Lord, there are those this night who are needing you in special ways. You know their names. You know the thoughts that are in our hearts. So bless those who need you in ways that they cannot miss so that they might sing your praise today and all the days to come. We thank you for your love for our church, for the community we have formed through the years among these people here, for the witness of yours that has gone on around the world as they have been faithful to teach here and across this world to so many different people. Guide us as we work together. Again, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let's see. Somebody knows everybody. I think it's you. I don't know if it is, but I think it is. And since I have the task gone, you can make sure that everybody's here. There's three chapters in all the rest of the sections, so you only have to read three chapters a week. If you went ahead and read eight as I did, well, you're one ahead for this week. And that'll make it easier for us to discuss this. We're going to start tonight a little different way. Now that you've read it, now that you're up on it, and now that you know everything I know, and probably a lot more about these chapters, let's look at the first pages of this section, this second section that was called The Temple of Pleasure. When you saw the title... What did you think when you read this sentence? First page of this section. But these days, if it isn't fun, if it isn't pleasurable, we don't want to do it. What do you think about that sentence? Did 100% accurate, isn't it? Especially about our present generation as a whole. Probably not true of our Grandparents or great-grandparents, right? I can't imagine when my dad first asked me to work. No, he didn't ask me to work. When my dad first taught me to work and told me to do it, me saying, but this is not fun, wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened then. But it sure happens now, doesn't it? Yes, Bob. Are they talking about free time here or all time? Good question. Good question. Because a job, you know, pretty much accept the fact that occasionally it's not going to be fun or pleasurable all the time. But not free time. But how much of the time? If you're under 40, if you work with people who are under 40, let's just, uh, under 35, let's get safer. <laughs> How many people that age expect their workplace to be fun and pleasurable most of the time? They do, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's really pleasure is a very has a high threshold though, and it's getting higher, isn't it? I mean, it's harder to find pleasure. He, he makes that point, doesn't he, in a couple of these books? Is that not frightening? 
you know, as you read these chapters and you read along, how many of you saw someone in the room that you knew in these pages? Of course, not yourself, but someone else in this room. How many of you saw yourself at a younger age? What other thoughts did you have about this, the temple of pleasure? It does make it, it has a way with words. It also has a way of slapping your outside of the head. And he has a way of getting you to think, doesn't he? I mean, I've thought about food a few times in my life. I've thought about how pleasurable it is. But before we get there, let's go a little farther. The gods of pleasure whisper, wouldn't you like to scratch that itch? Wouldn't you like to satisfy that appetite? Wouldn't you like to experience that feeling? Wouldn't you like to get that high? Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't how many times do you watch a TV show and you've already decided to zone out for the day? You're mindless watching it. And how many times do the little monsters in your head go, wow, that adultery really looks fun. Adultery? Oh, that's only 90% of what you see on most sitcoms, right? Sleeping with everybody, everybody, somebody, just whoever is convenient. How many times do you see what he describes at football games? How many times have I said, wouldn't it be fun to go to a church where they were as excited as they were in a fourth quarter ball game where their children were playing? Now, I think some days, sometimes when we worship at First Church Carrollton, it's so much more fun and exciting than so many places I've worshipped that I think I am at a ball game. It's kind of like fun. I think I used to think that often when I'd worship at an African-American congregation. I'd think, I wonder if I painted myself black and I snuck into the pulpit, could I stay? Because it looked like they were into it. You never wondered if anybody was listening because they were talking to you. And if you got off the wrong track, you never wondered if you were looking because they were going, uh-uh, now watch it, be careful. You know, and I've gone to congregations where Jesus could have walked in the room and nobody would have said hi because we had already started worship. They just wouldn't have said anything. Now, I also realize, having said all that, that some people worship interiorly. And they really do. It is with their head. And we do know the head's important right now. We, we learned that this week again. We can't do it, we can't do it without our head. Because our head creates pathways for our actions, right? Didn't he say that about the third chapter? It shows what our passions are. So when we're not passionate about God in God's presence, is it not oftentimes because we're seeking pleasure somewhere else? And isn't that what he said also? And I don't know that I'd ever had that exact thought. I don't know that I ever thought of the things that bring me pleasure as robbing me from finding pleasure in God's presence. How about you? Yeah. Well, I know that for a long period of time, I never took Jesus with me when I went on vacation or when I went out mm -hmm. or when I did things. And I don't take them near enough, but I do take them when I need to. Yeah, that's and good point. And generally more enjoyable, but it's right. a change of thought Right, it is, isn't it? It's a different way of thinking that everything that I submit myself to and commit myself to is in competition with time I could have been spending pleasure with God. I don't know if he's straightforward said that, but he got so close to it that it, it was hammering at my head. Because I'll admit, my wife doesn't have to testify, I'll confess. I love going home, turning my mind off, and turning on a mindless TV set where there's a clear winner and the bad guys suffer and victory is won. And that's so silly. I, re how many, I don't even want to know how many shows we record to try and find time to watch. <laughs> 
And a lot of times I'm watching a show and Sally's given up on me talking that day again and she's reading the book or she's maybe watching the show. Or maybe she's already seen the show because she's retired now at home and I'm not. And we do get hooked on shows. And I'm hooked on a really bad one right now. I, I don't think I'll tell you the name of it because it, after he said it says something about us, what we're watching, I'm kind of feeling bad. Uh, okay, I'll tell you anyway. Confession is good for the soul. And Sally has never watched this show. She's watched it for five minutes and she leaves the room. She said, I can't believe you're watching that. Okay, he's a good actor. His name is Kevin Bacon. Are you watching it too? The following, the following. It's awful. It's awful. I mean, they are the most brutal. And yet they worship. We saw them worshiping a cult in the last episode or two. And I, I, and I sat there, and then I started to think about other cultic experiences. I'm going, oh, my God, people really do that. They really follow that kind of maniac. And then, of course, three or four more get killed, and I, I wonder what else I'm going to learn other than people can be incredibly brutal. And then you start thinking about articles you've read in the magazine. You start thinking about newspaper articles and brutal murders you've heard. And you realize what a protected world we live in. And how, thankfully, our minds don't run that way. It's a crazy show. Don't tell anybody I watched it. People, classes I teach are not allowed to repeat anything I say in here except high and holy things. It's for just your personal, and I'll X you out of the next class if I hear you spreading <laughs> vicious rumors that I'm teaching. But I do like TV. I do like good guys to win. They just aren't making many westerns anymore that I can watch and John Wayne can ride off into the sunset because he's already gone. So I'm watching other things. We even watch some other stuff that's passing the time. And I'll admit, many times, today was one of them, my mind hasn't stopped since day one. Even to rush it and to get back here after I took a, a short personal break to clear my head and I caught every blessed red light on the way back. And my mind is still not off of that subject now and it won't be when I go home tonight because it's that kind of day. There, there are a lot of things happening and a lot of things are going to happen in the next 48 hours and oh, by the way, after that, and I'm not making that 72, then I'm going to get up and preach again. And I know between now and then, there's one more break left, and that's tomorrow. Thank God for golf and entertainment where I actually do not think about the things that cause me stress, things that cause me anxiety, things that cause me to want to push God along. Pleasure, the temple of pleasure. And you make a good point, Bob. Is he talking about spare times? And he also made an ugly little point in here at one of these chapters. I've forgotten where now. I remember underlining. We have more spare time now than ever, even though we complain more about not having any time than ever. And yet we actually have more times, but a lot of those times are filled up with things we have to do for pleasure. As a small child growing up, my, close your ears, Sally. She hates these old stories. Only one sport. Baseball for small boys. We had a short season, summer only, a few spring practices, then summer and it was over. I lived for that time of the year to where we could do that and go to recess at school. But that's all there was. The thought of getting tired of playing baseball never entered my mind until I started playing basketball in junior high. Kids now, my grandson. God bless his soul, has now experienced swimming, which he actually did, and learned how to swim. They have attempted soccer. If you've ever seen seven or eight three-year-olds <laughs> with a coach and a soccer ball, it's entertaining. It is pleasurable. They could care less about what he's saying or what he's doing than anything in the world, and they're off running away down here and... And then there was T-ball. We had our latest adventure, and we're now in our first T-ball. My grandson is a picture of 
It's so hard when Sally's in here, so close. He gets mad when anybody else gets to catch the ball that's hit at him. And if he doesn't get one out of every two or three, then he's stalking, sulking over at the side and not wanting to go play. That was his first practice. He missed about three in a row, and he's actually playing a game this weekend with one other practice. I can imagine what that. He'll even know where to run when he hits the ball or what to do. It'll be a zoo. That'll be pleasurable. Nothing harmful. But everything he does is pleasurable. He'll have more pleasure opportunities by the time he's 10 than I had by the time I was 21, probably. Pleasure. So don't you think that music is more spiritual because of what it, and I'm going to say it's for the younger generation, because, as you said, everything is a matter of preference. How many kids go to the right school? How many speaking first people? Some do. Some do, but I'm just saying. Many don't in our world. We don't. have more time for the net or cell phone, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The point of it is that, speaking for myself, I don't really think I have special time. Hearing you, I don't really think you have special time. No, I have to carve it out. And a lot of people are in situations where their jobs that used to be 40-hour weeks are now 55-hour weeks. And if they don't do 55-hour weeks getting paid for 40, they don't have a job law. And we have to do that because there's all these obligations we've made over here. And it takes a certain amount of money to float our boats. And it's usually more than we comfortably make if we were working 40 hours. Uh, it is a rat race out there economically. Not much has changed income-wise for people now in five or six years. Except for a certain lucky group. And they're doing great. Yes. Most of us have that ceiling because we were having too much pleasure. Yes. We were having too much pleasure, and we want too much. And life in general takes too much, if you haven't noticed. I mean, I bet, and this might be stretching it, there'll be an exception. If you want to brag, go ahead. But if we go home and walk through your house, no, I'm going to do another thing. This is going to be really ugly, but it's something that's on my mind because I told somebody else about today. When you have a little time, walk through the school where they used to have a lot of students and need all the rooms they had for students. And they're having fun too. And that's pleasurable for their age. And now there are fewer students and a walk down the halls is instruction. It gives you a lot of instruction. I see a number of classrooms that are now offices. And as I peeked in a few, I saw a desk. You always expect the teacher to have a desk, and that used to be my wife's life. Maybe one closet occasionally, she's lucky. Now there's a big old classroom filled with stuff. Many classrooms. I bet most of what they've ever used over there in the last 10 years is still in those classrooms. Is it ever going to be used again? Mm, probably not. But there's lots of room, and when we have room... We buy more stuff. And when we don't, we go to the U-Haul company and rent more space to put our old stuff in in case we might want it for somebody else, right? It's a great phenomenon of our culture, all the storage houses that are built around the world to hold stuff we don't even know what's there after six months. Now, so we do have a lot of stuff. As Daniela, our German student, told us, I love this word stuff. It means anything. You know, and she said, I'd love to go to Walmart because of all the stuff they had. But she hardly ever bought a thing, even though she had money in her pocket and was what loved to go look at the stuff. She said, at home, we only have one little closet. We don't have all. Well, I grew up with one little closet. My brother and I did sharing it. Yeah, we shared a bedroom. Wow. That's a novel thought. You know, uh, okay, enough preaching. Okay, the Jezebel story is interesting, but we're going to move on from that too. He tells a little story at the end of that introduction that talks about they wanted both gods. They wanted Baal and they wanted God too. And I'm not saying that people don't want God because of all their pleasure. I don't think most people will conscious that they're not 
choosing God. I don't think any of you are doing that. I honestly don't, but I think all of you are doing it to some degree. Some of us worse than others. There's no doubt about it. Right. Right. Exactly. We don't realize that God is pleasure. And the same thing in worship, I think. I, I think in the other day, I, I would love to have been the front instead of sitting far to the back and sat at a funeral of contemporary worship music and folks that don't normally experience contemporary worship. And the person who had passed planned the service for her own funeral. She had a long battle with cancer, and she intentionally wanted them to have to experience it in that church. And so that brought me pleasure. I thought it was funny. I'd pastored there for eight years. I thought it was kind of humorous. And I know that if they could have done it without anybody seeing in them, there would have been a few reactions at some of that music in songs from some of those people. This was probably 600 people in a 700-foot four-story building with an amphitheater around, huge glass dome ceiling. It would have been, y'all would have gone nuts if you'd been worshiping in there at that time. This church would have just been. But in a controlled environment, they didn't push through to pleasure because they had been taught that you don't really do that. They don't know, they, most of them. And the ones that knew how to worship that way were like, in this place, I'm, I'm not going to be the only one doing that. The devil was in me, but I resisted. After all, I was in the balcony anyway, they wouldn't have seen me. And if they had turned around and heard their preacher shouting from the balcony, they'd have probably, I don't know who that guy is up there. That's, yeah, yeah, he would have told me because he would have seen it, right. Uh, but that you're right. We don't push through in our relationship to find pleasure in God a lot. And that's sad. And I don't know that I really, I don't know that I thought in those terms personally. I, I experienced pleasure a lot in worshiping at other times and in satisfaction of when God is obviously at work. But I don't think I ever thought that in my head. I find comfort with God. I find direction with God. I find, I would have used the word joy in God's presence. I don't know that I'd have thought of God in pleasure. How about you? Would you? Right. Exactly. I, I think you're right. I think that's there's a real part of our dilemma with God at that point. God has become kind of our great provider of everything we need, and uh, that is the beauty of the, all the pain in the world. It does drive us to God at least, when a lot of times we wouldn't go otherwise. But I'm fascinated with the idea of pleasure with God. I really am. I just don't think that's a word that I've ever used. It's not a biblical word in that sense, the word, although he turns it into a biblical word before he's through. But uh, the God of food, I'm tempted to skip that chapter. I don't understand any of the language in that chapter, you know. I do understand the first part, eating is good. I agree. I don't particularly like the next sentence. The problem is that every gift God gives us can be twisted into a lure to pull us away from him. That's a very good way of saying what he's trying to say. Lure. A lure attracts a fish to bite the bait. A lure entices us to something else. And if you start thinking about your life and the thing things that entice you away from time you could be spending in God's presence, that conversation probably takes a little different note. We had panic this morning. Our TV wouldn't come on. And it was, but it did because it was going to have to get fixed or we'd have to go buy another one. Is the TV a lure? Certainly it is. is t- can TV be good? Certainly it can. If we watch it as much as he says we watch it, it's a little scary, is it not? 
a little piece of heaven, talking about food, this pie is to die for. Soul food, angel food cake. This cake is heavenly. I love that paragraph. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. It must be donuts and ice cream. <laughs> Death by chocolate. Nectar of the gods. We use all these phrases about food. And I never thought about them as anything other than just, it's good. Okay, I got it. Obviously, I got it. <laughs> but when we start to look to food to do for us what the Lord God alone should do, we have a problem. Comfort food. I don't know of too many people that don't use food occasionally as comfort. Unfortunately, I think the TV and foods at night have become comfort for a lot of harried people at the end of the day. Instead of voicing their stress to God, or even their partner, they a lot of times don't even know if they can talk about it. So they just try to find a way to feel better about tomorrow. And when you start trying to just eat when you're hungry and try to be conscious of what you're eating, is it, is it really good for me or is it not? You know, it, it is possible to take two bites of really good piece of heavenly cake but it's really hard to for many of us because whoever brought you the cake probably brought you a whole slice and if you're at a place you paid for it you could take it to work in a little styrofoam box to take home for later what's the odds of that surviving that afternoon when you feel stressed again uh, what's the odds that you really need the size of that chicken fried steak at mama's kitchen, mama's daughter's kitchen. Pretty big chicken fried steak. Fortunately, if you cut all the crust off, it's not nearly so big. So, yeah, you can, it, it's much smaller meat, a lot of grease. He wants uh, comforter is what God calls himself. Comforter is what God calls himself. So to use food for the name that God gives himself to do is something that God wants to do for us. And, and sometimes you, you see it in people's eyes, don't you? Somebody's lost somebody that you love and care about. And obviously, there's no pain quite like the pain of death of your loved ones. And if it's unexpected, untimely, early, uh, it, it affects us. It affects us in deep ways. And when the end comes, people are ready to be comforted. And we, as well-meaning Christian people, often say that, don't we? We say, God will be there to comfort you. Be careful what you say and how you say it to people at that point. But when you do say it, it's, it sometimes it's instructful to watch them because sometimes they will look at you like, how is God going to replace my partner of 45 years? How is God going to comfort me? I'm not going to see my child again until I get to heaven. How is God going to You see, They believe it, but it's really hard for us to fight it even when we desperately need it. Now, sometimes when the pain is great enough, they do push through, to use that analogy, because in desperation, someone will finally say to them, God is waiting for you, but you have to go to God. God will not force himself upon you. And they finally hear it, and they're able to let God minister to them. Really, we have a heart. We can't. We can only do so much with people. God understands better. And sometimes they hear God through you. Um. Food is really not the place to find comfort. It's really a counterfeit lover, as he calls it. And then he talks about the bread. He talks about John 6. It's a great chapter, isn't it? I love the end of John 6. Uh, I love that story. Where else would we go? Are you going to stay? Are you going to run off too? Everybody left because he wouldn't give them free bread and drink anymore. 
They wanted him to keep doing miracles and feeding them. They're following him around, and Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And they said, not exactly the bread we're looking for. We like the kind we ate three days ago that you gave us on the hillside. And Jesus said, mm, that's not really the food that you need most. You need the food that satisfies your soul. How many of you are, oh, this is not, this is too small a room. A number of you are doing the Lenten fast, I'm assuming, because we had a lot of cards turned in. That means you're skipping a meal. Now let me ask you a question. Are you really missing much when you skip one meal a week? Is it killing you? Is it driving you crazy? It's hard. It's hard, isn't it? But you're thin. You need probably, you don't probably need it. You can, I'll skip two for you. I'll do one for you this week. Because I can skip a meal. I know. It's too crabby at work. Yes. Yes. I tried to do it at work. Yes. I got lost, distracted. And I, just, I, I mean, I could just yeah. feel myself, but I'm not like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, no work. I'll do it on a Saturday. When <laughs> I try to space it differently. Two meals, a late morning breakfast, and then an early dinner, and skip a lunch. That's the easiest way for me to do it. If I have to have a snack, okay, I've got to have a package of crackers. I don't want to faint out on the staff. They'll get panicky. You are a diabetic. You have to have a certain amount of calories, a certain amount of time. I usually don't have to worry about that problem. Unfortunately, I don't ever get low blood sugar. Uh, it just doesn't happen. But I know it is a trial, and just that one little exercise and what could be done with that amount of money over a large area that we talked about one Sunday when we said well, 50,000 people could generate $13 million a year to feed the poor by skipping one meal a week and turning the money in. Just during Lent, yeah. Well, during Lent, it's going to raise about $600,000 or 700000 if we get 10,000 people to do it. And that's 10000 out of approximately 150000 in the annual conference. I don't know what the last census was. It's about how many members we have. Can you imagine that power to feed the world that's at the church's fingertips? I don't mean feed Texas. I mean feed the world, literally. Our nation could do it. On one meal a week. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Can you imagine the difference it would make in the world, even? I don't know. There's too many zeros involved. If, how many Americans are there? 360, 260 million? Is that right? Over 300 million. Over 300 million. Okay, let's say a third of those are, are really Christian. There's two thirds of them, or 80% of them, claiming to believe in Jesus and God, but let's face it, they're not talking about what we're talking about. But let's just say half of them were. 150 million people giving $10 a week for a meal. That's a lot of zeros. And there's a lot of weeks in a year. That's scary to think about what could happen. And the church could do that, and the rest of them could just watch. And what would other nations think? We've got to send somebody some food. We've got too much food over here, and we've got all this money to give away, and we'd like to give some to your nation. We're trying to figure out how to feed 40 orphans in Pakistan left by bombing. It's nothing. $2,000 a month, $50 a month per child to take care of them. But it's not really nothing, is it? $2,000 a month, that's $24,000 a year. We're in a budget crisis. Where are we going to find $24,000? Oh, I don't know. Why don't we skip a meal a week? Just saying. Doesn't have to affect anything else. Food. You like my new pants? I haven't worn these in about a year and a half or two. I got into them today. I thought I'd let y'all... <laughs> You know, and I find pleasure in that now. I find pleasure in saying no. Now, it's a hard conversation. Don't get me wrong. But food can really be your enemy. I might outlast Sally if I eat less of it. And I would find great pleasure in preaching her funeral rather than her laughing at my early one. So, you know, just because of all the stories I could tell about her, 
And people would go, I can't believe you said that. And I said, she already heard it. I already said it. Paul's... <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm finding pleasure in my thinking of Rachel's remarks, but I'll leave it alone. The God of food, he goes on to talks about three journeys of Paul, this poor guy who was suffering from the view he had of food and the lack of understanding of what it was doing to him uh, in significant ways. He gets down to these idle ID things. Anything else in that chapter on food that y'all, that we missed or not touched on? He has good examples that, and he just, he's talking about it. Surpat, or I, I like the word replace, replacing God's presence in your life with food for the things God wants to do for you. I just thought that was a unique idea. Anything else you picked up in that chapter that you want to share with the group? Let's don't miss anything. Got all these wise people out here. I'm only hitting highlights because I know you've already read it and digested it. And you. Pro- But, yes. But um, but I I I was really thrilled. It was it, it was a different way to look at mm-hmm. at saying no. Yes, and it I is. Was able to, and, and all the times that I've tried to fast and pray when I was hungry or when mm-hmm. I wanted it, and, and I struggled with it. But after reading this, I was able. It was easier. I'd say no. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to have the hot chocolate before this. I don't really need it. And then I would pick up my book and read my book. Yeah, and that was just it was good. There's magic in reading Christian books, yes. reading the Bible, actually talking to people about your faith instead of doing other things. There's also magic in one sentence he keeps repeating. One sentence. If you ever have an idol and you ever struggle with an idol, whatever that might be, on every page where he says choosing Jesus at the end of each chapter, he says idols are defeated. Not by being removed, but by being replaced. I never thought of it that way either. Because if you create a void in your life by getting rid of an idol that brought you pleasure, that idol then has an easy way to get back in your life, right? Because you still have a desire for that pleasure. We're made to enjoy life and to enjoy creation, to enjoy food or whatever. It's only when you replace what you're getting rid of with something else, someone else, God, that the idol has a hard time getting back in. Now, I know a lot of people's idols are not food. Y'all are a pretty small group, actually. Compared to the general population, y'all would score pretty well. Uh, Throw me out, you really have a a lot better curve. (laughs) Uh, But the reality is, in in our population, it's really become an issue. But if that one was bad, oh, if we were only teenagers again to talk about the next chapter, right? <laughs> the God of sex. The conversation at every summer camp I ever worked for junior high and senior high. They could hardly wait until the regular teaching died down and we'd gather out in the gazebo free time and then start gathering. And what would they want to talk about? Oh, different things and then for the most of the time, sex, relationships, dating, what ifs. And of course, I was young and dumb and not overly educated and I was just crazy enough to talk to him about it. So we just sat out there and talk about it. I can remember talking about their relationships and what they were doing. I can remember playing games with well, My favorite game was to pick out two high school students who didn't know each other very well and certainly weren't attracted to one another usually a boy and girl, and asking one or the other the question, look at the other person across the the way and answer me this question. How would you like to wake up tomorrow and that was your father slash or your mother? I said, well, that would be awful. They're young, they don't know anything, they don't make any money. I said, okay. How many of you think about that? when you do things that cause children to be born, knowing that you might become their parents. 
never thought about it that way. Well, I have children, and I think about it that way. Anytime you look at one of my girls, I think about it that way. And you don't rate either one of my girls at this point in your life. So I have the normal father's compassion for my children. I just want to destroy you. So you won't be, they won't be tempted. They don't, sex is, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have that conversation now, by the way, because I couldn't keep up with them. They are so far ahead of anybody over 30 with what they know and unfortunately what they've experienced about sexual relationships that we'll ever admit to ourselves. Unfortunately, it's my sad job to talk about parents with that occasionally when they're trying to understand their teenagers. And from an objective, off-site position, it's pretty easy to explain. There are children that are not like that. And most of them are in our youth group. Unfortunately, though, I read these nasty little magazine articles and books that tell me that premarital sex amongst teenagers in active churches is the same as it is among churches of people, kids who don't go to church. Those are actual statistics, by the way. So, love your children, believe your children to a point, and then don't. Because they are products of their culture. Not as influenced by them as they are by you, and we hope not as influenced by others as they are by their faith, but never take it for granted because they're in church or in youth all the time that they're not struggling with the same kind of idols that everybody else's kids are. You're not helping them by assuming their innocence. Now, I'm not trying to make you paranoid. If you're a parent, you probably already are. And if you're a grandparent, you certainly are paranoid about your grandchildren. Uh, but I'm just saying reality is reality. Sex is something we rarely talk about in church. Uh, we talk about in youth groups, sometimes in elementary, older elementary grades now, they have an education class about it. But we don't always get right down to the real nitty-gritty about it. We, we stay too nice. We stay too uh, in appropriate language discussion as if somehow that still gets a point across. And, and yes? What age nowadays do you think parents... About seven. No, I'm, I'm lying. I'm ki- kidding, but no, I'm... Should have that talk. I mean, and just explore. And um, what age? As soon as the the kids start asking, I mean, you you don't have to go, and that's the key, you don't have to go in all the depth. Like my son's asked some questions, and I went very careful to asking him a little bit about what he wanted to know, and just went Mm -hmm. down the road that he wanted to go. It could be a continual conversation about relationships and love and how they're connected. It should be a continual conversation for Christians about how we're created and what it was meant to be. Uh, I would say that the serious talk and the more informational talk needs to occur by 11 or 12, according to when they're going to hit fifth or sixth grade, because by then, if you haven't told them, they've already gotten bad information. Yes. And they actually get pregnant these days. David, I promise you a really great resource. There's a lady here in town, or in Dallas, her name's Mary Clover Lee. Mm-hmm. And you can Google her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's important. You, you, I can remember another church, another woman who had two, who had teenage daughters, and I was talking about that. We were just talking about it in general, and I noticed she was just scrubbing the heck out of the dishes at the, at the sink, and she wasn't looking up, and her cheeks were a little red. And it dawned on me, wow! All of a sudden, and I said. You haven't talked to your daughters about this subject, have you? And one of them is 16. No, I haven't, but I know I need to. I said, no, you should have already done it. I mean, these were not... I always prayed for homely girls. I wanted homely girls who blossomed in their older age. 
It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And so boys were coming way too early. Uh, but you have to talk to them about it. And they still can remember the yucky conversations we started having at a way age earlier than they thought. Because I would tell them exactly what the boys were thinking. Because boys are stupid. And boys are creatures of their bodies. And they do not develop emotionally or mentally nearly as quickly as girls do. They understand some of the same words, but they don't mean the same thing. And I'll, that doesn't come natural to girls unless they have brothers and they're observant because they're older brothers and then they know how stupid they are. <laughs> but it, I'm just speaking truth. I mean, I'm, we get smart at about 70. I'm tr- looking forward to 70. But yeah. No, you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to make sure that both of us are talking to the child of the opposite sex so that they get closer perspective. Boys can learn to control themselves, yeah. but most of the time they don't get nearly enough help or enough constant reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Read the statistics about what's on their mind. They have to get rid of their idols about every 60 seconds. <laughs> and that is not easy in our culture. I'm just saying, I'm sorry, your little boys are mostly going to turn out that way. And now we even have the fear that we want to be sure they turn out to be boys. I don't want to take the masculinity away from any boy because I, I believe there's a need for boys and men in the world. And it's not easy. I'm so glad I'm a grandparent because I can blame my children for all the things that go wrong to my grandchildren. But it's a battle in the world we live in. And it's not just boys, is it? It's not just men either, is it? Girls are now more aggressive than they've been in any other century. Yes, ma'am. God said that he wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against Right. Yes. As much as Jesus has come to give us life in that more abundantly. Absolutely. So that's why we have to, uh, we literally have to protect our children, really equip them not to bring them to church for the two Sunday school teachers to do the best they can in one hour. Yes. Or the teacher, if they're in Bible school, to mm-hmm. keep them in maybe three hours. Right. But at home, the parent has to be deliberate in building their children's spirit and soul up. Yeah because it's hard for them because they don't really mm-hmm. know how to fight back. That's exactly right. And so that's why um, we, we just got to just cover our children. I don't have any, but um, spiritual sons and daughters, but got to cover those kids and teach them. Right. And train them up. Mm-hmm. Because I tell you, I work in the marketplace, and I, when, I, when I see what I see, how the enemy is um, carrying on and then kind of look at you and know that you're a Christian, just kind of laugh in your face, and I'm saying, under my breath, I'm doing warfare. But I'm like, you're just silly, Dove. You're just crazy. And mm-hmm. I just acknowledge that I do. I see him in action. Mm-hmm. And so, and and so, and then even with, with with women, you know, acting crazy, like God said in the Bible, turn it against themselves. That nothing mm-hmm. is. They wasn't born that way. It's not normal. But there is a sin issue, and it started with Adam and Eve. So we're having to mm-hmm. fight mm-hmm. to keep pure and holy. Yeah. Everything, adults, children, anything that has a soul, a spirit, and a, you know. Uh, you know, we're fighting. And those demons never give up, do they? No, never. They're just like the one that was chasing Jesus. He left to come another day. He lost that round. No need to continue in the fight. And if we learn to resist and replace, that doesn't mean they're going to go away forever, but it means they're going to go away for a longer period of time because as long as we entertain them in our heads and in our hearts as long as we teach girls that they need to dress in a way one of the most trying times of my life was going to buy swimming suits for the girls thank God they were four or five years apart because I couldn't have done it any closer together without hurting somebody and you know what ended up happening they'd come home and I'd say no 
and then I'd have to go with them, and that was almost worse than, but not worse than the alternative. So I'd go with them. You know how many swimming suits you can try on? How many stories you can go to before you find one that that you end up settling for? I mean, it's not that any of them are that appropriate, quite frankly, but it's it's amazing. And the older I get, the more amazing it gets. And so that means I I can't talk anymore because I wouldn't understand because I'm over 40. But the God of food is not the only God. The God of sex. uh, And I'm going to... Worship is powerful. That's right, it is. If you're praising God, it's powerful for good. If you're worshiping something else, it's powerful for evil. And that's why we were looking so hard at, for our youth pastor. We, don't, we want a certain kind of pastor who's seriously on board working with our youth because we know that there are years there where that person can become a huge influence on your kids. I still believe that parents are the greatest influence, and they are. But there are certain periods and stages in your child's life when another person becomes very important as well as their peers. The peers are way too important for way too long. But they still can't out-talk you most of the time. It's in those moments when they're in danger that you pray for another person in their life who they don't think is out of it, who can they can relate to because that can be the support they need to resist that kind of temptation we're talking about. Um, yes. Yes, right, right. It does. It does. What I think is, has changed since my kids were younger because we make sure we read to the center, right. to the families, and right. what type of tones they were going to as much as they knew what type of tone we had. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we taught our kids was friendship and importance. When it's something seriously happens, how many of them are going to be there? Children be um, 
that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing as the parents. We don't yeah. want to overstep our boundaries, but we want our grandchildren to be safe as well. Exactly. I look at the clock and I see we have 10 minutes. It's, it's interesting when you start talking about sex that you automatically go to the young generation. But <laughs> lest, we, lest we forget, one of the books that sells greatly in bookstores is the romance novel section. And I see women going to that section where they're, and they're buying those romance books. How many romance books are really the way romance is? How many premarital people coming for premarital counseling do you think I counsel when they answer the question on the text, on the test that they take for personality assessment and their compatibility? There's a question on there to ask. Uh, I expect that our, our uh, romantic life will decline somewhat as we old. How many people plan to get married do you think ever say yes to that? Not very many. They think it's going to be just like this forever. And <laughs> trying to convince them that that might not be accurate <laughs> if they stay together very long is, is a little different. There's nothing wrong with having romance, but will it be the same? Will it be just as passionate? Everything changes. Your body changes. Your relationship actually gets stronger. But God has a thing working for God in his creation. It's called sexual peak among adults. Boys, about 17 or 18, maybe 16 these days. I think those numbers are changing a little bit. Women, 26, 30. They tell us. I'm not so sure watching some of the younger ones now. You know what that means? About the time the boys are crazy about it, the girls can do without. And about the time a woman really gets interested in a man's useless. <laughs> God has a sense of humor about sex too. You know? There are different levels between the sexes of when they're ready to go. We need each other to remain safe. We might get a few years in there when they're on the same page. Who knows? But the, the reality is it is a different world in that regard. There are some things you're not going to stop in young males. It's biological. But you can teach them to control their thoughts. The same way you teach them to control their physical actions in sports, they can be taught to control their thoughts. And if they don't learn to control their thoughts, they have no hope. Because there are lots of girls who are not waiting till they're 26 to be interested. Most of them, I still think, are interested in being loved. Too many fathers don't love their daughters. Too many families are, unfortunately, suffering because of divorces. It's not hard for an older man, if he's been very observant in his life, to pick out teenage girls who are lacking affection from a father figure. It's not hard at all. And they will find it. That's why the men of the church, when we take those vows to raise those children as babies, that doesn't mean just when they're six or eight or ten. It means when they're 14 and there's not a father present, we're their fathers, along with other family and relative members. And we need to look at them that way, and we need to evaluate them as if they were our own daughter, daughter's and the same thing with the young men. And women need to do the same thing. Because sometimes there's an absent mother too. A loss of a parent is a big deal developmentally. So, okay, this is so depressing to talk about sex. How well do you control your thought life? Moving right along, what sites do you visit on the Internet when you're by yourself? Wow, that's a nice little test, isn't it? What might be lacking in your intimacy with God? Might it be turning off all that stuff? Just saying. Oh, here's an interesting sentence. Idols are defeated not by being removed, but by being replaced. Look for your love in all the right places, and you got a better chance. Last thing. Oh, my goodness. Was this awful or what? The God of entertainment. The football scene. 
by the second sentence, you knew exactly what he was talking about. The passion for sports versus the passion we have for God and for worship. And he talks about the church that Peyton built. That's a little cruel, but um, what was I most passionate about is a question he asked himself. That's a good question, right? What about celebrities? It's scary who young kids and older adults are attracted to. It's scary that talk shows are so popular. Now, if you're one of those people that loves to watch the talk shows, I'm sorry. Most of them are not great for you. Now, if you want to watch Dr. Oz, that's okay. But when you start watching the others, most of the time, they're lifting up people that aren't worthy of being lifted up that much. (laughs) So, it's just gamers. Oh, kids aren't attracted to video games, surely. You know, letting him know that, hey, this is, there's something wrong, but mm-hmm. then she got upset. And so I said, okay, I need to back off because I want to move softly when I, when God is going to lead them mm-hmm. to, to do this. And so, uh, but I just told him because he kept coming to me, kept yes. coming to me while mm-hmm. I was working. And I was just telling him, you know, I try to, um, if I'm going to say something, I try to make it count because I don't know when he may come back to the office again or uh, I know that I'll see her every day. And so when I do see her, I try to make it count because someone else can come from another department and say something quite the opposite. But hopefully what I say will last and then help her uh, come to Christ. Absolutely. So I'm trying to use wisdom, but the little boy, he had this uh, demonic game. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to watch that one. <laughs> There's probably nothing more immediately addictive to, and I'm going to speak about males. I don't know what is addictive for females. I've never been one. But for males... When you put them in a game situation, in a battle situation with immediate results where they kill the bad guy and they do it a thousand times in an hour. And if they're allowed to just focus on that too many hours out of the day, it's very hard for their minds to think that violence is not natural or normal. There's a reason 16-year-olds are walking in the college campuses and shooting up people and not being bothered by it. It's not just that they play video games, but all of our society contributes to that. We have to work to undo it. We have to be careful to, to teach our children that. While we teach them to compete, we must compete, give them boundaries in competition. And the way we used to do that in youth is I would, I would rig teams where the most athletic were always on losing teams. It infuriated them because I most unathletic person on the team of the most athletic boy which would drive them insane because they'd get beat they said this is not fair and I would just look at him and say why and he would just look at me like you know why and I would look at him and say yeah I know why <laughs> but you don't always have to win it's more important to be part of the team I didn't get that lesson when I was young and I didn't play games that way I always played to win there's an advantage to playing to win but it has to have a point where you don't go beyond what's appropriate to win. And that's, that's always hard to find. He didn't say a whole lot about this t- chapter. I think he thought this is so obvious. There's no reason for me to say anything. This is a disturbing sense. I even dog-eared my little book. Must be going to sermon going to come out of this or something. We want pure, unadulterated joy... And that trail finally leads to God himself. That's, that's a cool sentence. But he says, also a little lower, the more vibrant our inner lives are, the less we need from the outside. He also said in that chapter that we're pursuing pleasure more and it keeps requiring more and more pleasure to satisfy us. And I think that's true. I think that the demons are at work in that sense. They know our weaknesses. And they know when there's no need in them bothering us. And they know when we're vulnerable. So as you read these things, um, don't 
automatically push them off to the younger. Allow yourself in the privacy and the safety of your own mind to take your own needs to God and say, okay, God, where am I guilty? Where am I in danger? It's various things at various times for each of us. It was golf for me at one point. You know, I had to set my golf clubs up and not touch them literally for six weeks to be sure I could. Because at that point in my life, I didn't know if I could. I was worshiping the idea of playing golf. I was. I would never have called it worship, but I do now. And that's why it's always important to me to ask what gets in the way of my day off. A day of pleasure. I need a day of, everybody needs a day of rest. God himself took a day off, so it's okay for us to take a day off too. But you have to ask yourself, when your pleasure is being interfered with, is God more important? That's what God's calling you to do. I'm fortunate. I'm in business. I get to do a lot of things for God, and y'all pay me to do it. I I get that, and I never forget that because I had a real job once upon a time. I actually got to come home from that job after 40 hours, which I've not done in a long time now, but I had a real job, you know, walking the street, delivering the mail, working night shift, uh, sorting mail, and then running a small post office. I, I had real jobs, painting. I've done farm work. I understand what that kind of job is. And even in the midst of whatever we're doing, we still have to learn to find time for God. Because believe it or not, your pastors are trying to find time for God too. Because their job has a lot of stuff to do that is work for God and with God, but that's different from being with God. And it's, it's sad if preachers aren't worshiping. If, if I, you can't worship when you're leading worship, when are you going to get to worship if you're a preacher? And I've heard pastors say, well, I just can't worship when I'm leading. I said, well, that's really sad. What are you going to do, listen to it on a videotape? Now at least they can see a preacher preaching on TV and try to get into it. But I, I found it's great for me to worship. I preach much better when I worship. I may forget something. I may forget your name. It's very possible, as you know already. I sometimes forget Sally's name on Sunday morning. I just forget everybody. I, I only have a one-track mind, and it's a worship mind, and doing the thing I'm doing, and then it's over, and my time has passed. And I get in trouble on Wednesday night if I'm late here. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we don't want to worship in the temple of pleasure. Help us to be aware. Help us to be kind and helpful to others who are struggling with some of the same things we struggle with here, there, and everywhere in our lives. Help us to be strong. Help us to remember that we must replace idols, not just get rid of them. We must replace them with you. May we all be strong because you are strong and you are with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.